0: The GameCube GameCube. was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. GameCube. GameCube. GameCube.
1: Got him. Uh, So I'd like to just start off this episode by saying I have just finished Last of Us Part 2. Okay, and no spoilers. What are your
2: thoughts? Are you on the side of the internet rage or are you on the side of, guys, it's not that bad?
1: Oh, the internet rage is stupid. I, I, I spent this morning reading up on a lot of people and why why they thought this game was so bad and all their reasons are terrible. Like clearly 99% of the people who did these reviews have never played the game.
2: Yeah, well, that, that changed the whole Metacritic model. I think I saw that now you you can't review a game there until I think it's 35 hours after a game comes out because people were posting uh, reviews right when they could and it, was, it wasn't not even physically possible to beat the game in that amount of time, which...
1: Yeah. Agreed. So my personal experience with it, I loved the game. I think it was really well done. I have a lot of critiques of it, but none of them were the same critiques that these people who were like uh, crapping on the game had, so that kind of that was very telling for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't think
2: of a single game where I have zero critiques about like other than perhaps Tetris. I think every game has its flaws. <laughs> Even the first Last of Us had people that I remember I worked with a guy when I was working in the grocery store, he didn't he didn't like it. He didn't like anything about it and it wasn't like it wasn't because of the graphics. It wasn't because it was. he didn't like the story. He didn't like the gameplay style of it. He didn't like how dark it was and how depressing mm-hmm. it was. So even the first game wasn't unanimously loved. I, I loved the first one. Um, yeah, me Would too. you say this game is about the same? In, in your opinion, would you like this game as much as the first? Or do you think it's a little bit worse, better? Where would you rank it?
1: It's, it's tough to say. I think it's it ranks about equal to the first one, I would say. May, maybe I think the first one will inevitably be higher for me just because obviously uh, that is the first one in the series and it was so special when I played it. And I, I remember it very vividly and I can't remember my critiques as much, obviously, because time has passed. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure
2: that we had gripes about it back then, too. Um, yeah,
1: there's uh, but it it kind of it kind of left me satisfied when I started reading the reviews and I, I sometimes i like when i have a completely different opinion on something than other people in terms of like we both didn't like a part of this but you didn't like it because of this i think that's totally fine yeah uh and unfortunately our society for reviews in terms of movies games anything like that uh, for whatever reason no one is allowed to have a different opinion. <laughs> than yeah, you, yeah, no it's true. Is, yeah. It's just so it like that just kills me, right? It's like people can dislike the game uh whatever. Like I, I definitely don't agree with people who dislike the game for certain uh social reasons, I guess you could you could call them. Uh because that's just that's you're you're looking at it in a completely wrong lens. Yeah. But it's okay to like if you don't like part of the combat or if you don't like one of the characters, like It's you can still be friends with the person you're talking to. (laughs) It's weird. Like I I mean, I personally haven't had any. Like my friends, what we have are usually pretty open to to hearing criticism and stuff. But I know obviously other people. And just looking at Metacritic, like immediately say, "Oh my god, you didn't like that." That's it. Nope. Nope. Can't talk to you anymore. It's so, okay. Well, that's, that's good. Good discord.
2: Yeah. That that reminds me of uh, like, just with like star Wars and everything like that too, where everybody hates it and you leave the theater and you find out that you're the only one that actually of your friends enjoyed it. It's kind of a, it's kind of a shame, but that's just the world that we live in. I was talking to somebody about this game who doesn't play games just explaining to them like, oh, you know, this game that I just played, I loved, uh, it's getting trashed because it's uh, there's too many social justice elements that were kind of wedged in and people are complaining that it's sort of being forced on us. And uh, their response was like, isn't that kind of like pot, like a good thing to do to put, like you know, gay, player, gay players or transgender characters in the game? Like, isn't that sort of beneficial? Isn't that what people want right now? And I, said, I thought so too, but I mean, I guess not. It wasn't done, I guess, in the right
1: way. My argument would be that it was done in the perfect way. It's never like, hey, guess what, guys? Like, these characters are gay, and then we're going to say it, like, 80 times. Because that's what the bad, like, games and bad film and movie and pop culture does. Yeah. Is where they're, like, you know, really push this and and clearly and then just augment the stereotype which just hurts those those people themselves right
2: if anything in the game we might be getting a little too deep into spoilers now but i think the heterosexual couples of the game were actually the worst part
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's true yeah Yeah, honestly they were the most like what's
2: going on sort of thing in my mind uh But that's just that's just me. I'm glad you enjoyed it, though. That's a huge relief that we can uh, we can still be friends. (laughs) Uh, And I feel like it's kind of the same thing right now with a game that came out just recently with the new Paper Mario game. I feel like it's getting a similar critique with people complaining about it who haven't yet actually played it. It's just Thousand Year Door fans who haven't actually touched the franchise in the last 20 years and it's being reviewed or it's being critiqued at least by people who haven't even tried it yet and that's why i'm trying not to i'm trying not to trash it even though i like some of the games after thousand year door i'm not giving any sort of opinion on that game until i've tried it until i've played it i haven't bought it yet but i hope i you know can try it either from a friend or from the library or something like that and then have my own opinion Mm -hmm. i and yeah I, i i'm sure that the combat is not as good as thousand year door but that doesn't mean that the rest of the game has to be terrible it's it's sort of like uh, one of the games that we're going to talk about uh, later on today. Maybe it's a great game. It might just not be a great classic Paper Mario game. And that's fine. It's okay.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, with that, we just want to uh, say a big thanks to everyone who helped us to get to a thousand downloads. We're super appreciative. We can't believe we've come this far. And we're at a thousand downloads, Neil. This has got to like cement us as the... Uh, essential, specific GameCube podcast out there.
2: We're definitely the the main dedicated GameCube <laughs> podcast that's made it to now 13 episodes. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I, I didn't think... We'd see nearly this success. I was actually listening to one of our, I think it was, I guess, the first episode where I was excited for 20 downloads in one week. <laughs> and now it's like, hey, we're getting like 40 to 50 downloads a day, which is, it's really cool to see, you know, that that, that fan, the fan base is growing too. I mean, we're getting more followers on Instagram, starting to uh, interact with other uh, other podcasters
1: out there like uh, GamePunks and uh, the WT Famicom show. Yeah, they're great. I don't know if, if anyone wants to check them out. They also are kind of come from the background where they don't like a lot of video game podcasts because they think that all these gaming podcasts just suck everyone's dick in terms of the industry. <laughs> so I uh, I really like that about them. And that's been one of the inspirations for starting this podcast um, being something that's not just about saying how everything's great but uh you know we're obviously nintendo fans but we will you know we'll talk about why we don't like things for nintendo we we have no problem doing that
2: yeah actually the majority of games i don't like so
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty rare for me to like
2: of the 555 gamecube games out there there's probably 20 that i speak very highly of and then another 400 that i've never played and then the remainder are games that i have played and didn't like so do the math (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's not going to be all positive all the time. And that's that's Mm -hmm. kind of the beauty of the show. One more thing before we get into the episode, I just want to say how happy I am. I think we predicted this on the first or second second episode that the band Toronto band Pew 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 would be in Tony Hawk Pro Skater, the remake package coming out this fall for PS4 and Xbox One. They announced this week or last week or whenever it was that they will be on the soundtrack, which is Phenomenal uh <laughs> that we predicted that, or we said that they should they should do it, and now they are. Hopefully, we can someday get them on an episode for a few seconds to talk about a game of their choice.
1: Yeah, because we will be doing the Tony Hawk episode when the Tony Hawk games come out uh, in early September. So we're fingers crossed we can get PPP on there.
2: Yeah, if anybody out there knows any of the guys from that band, the Toronto local Toronto band, uh, that would be fantastic. But until then, we'll just continue on our little. Our little merry way, and hopefully we can uh, reach out to them at some point in the in the distant future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, we do promise that this is the GameCube was cool podcast episode thirteen. We made it to episode thirteen, Mike. Uh, for those of you that don't know, our podcast goes live every Thursday. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, Podbean, and we were just added to the iHeartRadio. Radio. Page as well so you can find us there we're a completely free podcast still ad free no one wants to sponsor us which is fantastic no <laughs> patreon no and nothing like that completely free podcast um all we ask is that you maybe share us with your friends your family neighbors enemies anybody who might like video games uh or <laughs> things from the 2000s if you have memories of playing games at mcdonald's um we're probably that they're probably our target audience uh, we are also on instagram at the GameCube pod So, with uh, this week's episode, we will be talking about three games in particular. Star Fox Adventures, Eternal Darkness, and Cubivore. Now, there's, uh, I guess, two different themes of this episode. You can pick whichever one you like. These three games were each N64 games, which were later on ported over to the GameCube. Uprezed... made Originally
1: better attempted N64 games uh, games that never came out on the N64 sure
2: yeah they were in development for the N64 either in North America or Japan um, but they didn't make it due to the fact they were probably at the end of the N64's life cycle so they were shifted over to a GameCube launch uh, window um, or if you also want to call it this could be like the cult classic episode since all three of these games are either low selling and are very sought after they have a very high fo- high fan base following uh, out there if you want to if you bring up either of these games on a chat room you're probably going to get a very select few a uh, small group of people who will just absolutely praise these games and talk highly of them Uh, Especially Cubivore, that game has very low sales, but everybody seems to adore it. We'll get to that uh, in a bit. But to start the episode off, we're going to start with a game or a franchise very near and dear to my heart. This game uh, came out on September 22nd, 2002. That is Star Fox Adventures. It is a GameCube exclusive developed by the great Rare, Rareware Studios, and it was published by Nintendo.
1: And we're going to be having our good friend, Jed Winters, who's going to be coming on here. And he's going to talk a little bit about Star Fox Adventures. And one of the reasons for having him on here is, uh, well, for one, I played the game, but I I can't talk too much of it. It's more of a Star Fox is a Neil thing. Neil has always had a... Uh I love hate, mostly hate relationship with Star Fox Adventures.
2: It's been a difficult uh, twenty six years, Mike. Okay, so I <laughs> I absolutely adore Star Fox N sixty four, and I think that most Star Fox fans are are with me on that. That is, no one can argue that any of the other Star Fox games are better than Star Fox sixty four. That's the first game I played. I rented it from Blockbuster when I was probably five, five or six. I was young, and I got it. That was one of the first games that I got on the N sixty four for my birthday. I think the following year, and. I can quote that game beat for beat and I absolutely love it. I still play it at least once or twice a year. Just You can beat that game in a day, easily. <laughs> it was re-released on the 3DS about uh, in 2012, I think it was, which I played that version to death as well. Since then, the franchise just hasn't grabbed me. I played Star Fox Adventures, I played Star Fox Assault, I played the Star Fox Zero on Wii U, and every single one just was let down after letdown. So, for me, I absolutely adore Star Fox, but I really only like Star Fox 64, and I can appreciate Super Star Fox on the the Super NES. Mm-hmm. I think it's just called Star Fox, not Super Star Fox. Yeah. But uh yeah, that that's where I stand with this franchise. Uh Mike, I guess you pretty much only play I know you speak very highly of Star Fox Assault, but not so much the others.
1: No, uh, but uh yeah, I guess like for me, I, I obviously enjoy the original Star Fox and I played the 64. Uh, but I think what I'm just more most interested in talking about before we kind of really get into the game itself is is rare. And uh, oh, yeah. kind of the end relationship uh, that uh, Nintendo had with Rare here because Star Fox Adventures is Rare's last game for Nintendo.
2: Yeah, it was the first Rare game on the GameCube and then the last Rare game for Nintendo. So I said this game came out on September 22nd, 2002. Rare was bought by Microsoft on September 24th. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> so literally two days after. And that was what a lot of people theorized that was part of the reason why this game was so rushed, was so quickly put out and also criticized part of the criticism was just that you know people might have assumed that this game was so poorly developed because they were just trying to rush it out before microsoft purchased uh, rare and took took them away from nintendo which i don't think is a fair criticism i think the game is actually quite good it's not a good Star Fox game
1: mm-hmm. yep
2: So Rare is a British video game developer, so I automatically love them right off the bat. Uh, They were established in 1985, and they were a prominent second-party developer for Nintendo. In the 80s, they gave us some great NES games like uh, Battletoads, Wizards and Warriors, etc. Into the 90s, we started to get games where they were working on Nintendo franchises like Donkey Kong Country being the first main one, uh, which kind of rocket-launched them into stardom with Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo ended up buying a 49% stock of their company. So they became basically a majority owner, um, leaving Rare with 51% still. So Rare is technically an, an indie developer <laughs> uh, in that era. Yeah. Uh, they were the 90s for me on the N64. They gave us classics like GoldenEye, Banjo, Perfect Dark, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Diddy Kong Racing. Those are the big ones for sure. Obviously, just a, a powerhouse developer, which unfortunately Ni- Nintendo didn't scoop up when the, I think they should have.
1: Yeah, interesting that they they were uh, holding 49% of them and they never decided to actually buy them outright.
2: No, they never bought them outright, and uh, Microsoft did.
1: Considering they did that with most a lot of their other d- development studios, so yeah, really strange. Yeah,
2: I'm not sure why they didn't. They were purchased by Microsoft for $375 million, so... Back then, that, that's a huge chunk of change, but Nintendo had that money on, on hand. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Microsoft took them and, and they had them develop mainly Avatar skins for Xbox Live.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and Viva Pinata.
2: And Viva Pinata and a few Banjo-Kazooie uh, sequels, which were, were not good. I think there's also a Perfect Dark 2 that was on Xbox, uh, Xbox 360, which... Also, meh. The the best thing that uh, Rare has done in the last twenty years and uh, was Rare Replay on the Xbox <laughs> One, which was a collection of thirty uh, Rare games from the eighties and nineties, which was fantastic. If you have an Xbox One, buy that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the development of Star Fox Adventures began shortly after Diddy Kong Racing was released in November 97. The original title of this game uh, was Dinosaur Planet. It was intended to be two stories linking together, starring uh, a main fox character named Saber, who was later on changed to Star Fox, and the female character Crystal, with sidekicks Tricky and Kite, which were also in the final version, as well as another character named Randorn, who was the father of Saber, and the adopted father of Crystal. That character was obviously dropped in the final version. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, the very famous Nintendo developer programmer, uh, said in an interview that the anthropomorphic design of Saber and Crystal was so close to the Fox McCloud character that was already established, uh, they decided to change this title over to Star Fox (laughs) for a GameCube launch title instead of the Dinosaur Planet game, which was actually... Uh, it was revealed at one of the E3s in the late 90s. I think it was 99. And it looks fantastic for an N64 game. I don't know if you saw any, Mike, if you saw any footage of that. I
1: have. And I've seen footage of, of Dinosaur Planet before. And it, yeah, it's it looks cool. No, it looked really good. Like, uh, yeah, like the graphics look nice. Like for, yeah, like you said, for an N64 game. I, I know, I know actually all these games were actually supposed to be for the. 64DD. Yeah, 64DD. So that was actually like kind of what the, the, it was running on graphics wise. Right. No, that's
2: exactly right. Um, But unfortunately, that didn't end up happening, and it was just ported over to GameCube, which was not well-received by the developers on Rare, their team, uh, unanimously. Uh, Sudden change uh, to a project when you're nearly finished is never going to be good for for a design team. The plot had to be completely revamped to fit a Star Fox canon, which was just a shame. And obviously, the Star Fox elements in the game feel tacked on, and that's
1: because they are tacked on. So you mentioned it was supposed to be a launch game. Yes, uh for GameCube. And so but it ended up coming out about a year after the launch. Yeah. Do you know anything about that?
2: Uh, I think it was just, the the fact that they had to completely revamp the engine, the graphics, right. the sound, it, it's not as easy as flicking a switch. A lot of, of people, not. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people say that, you know, when you're making a port of a game or you're just up a game, just hit the switch and, uh, you know, <laughs> click on the PS4 <laughs> up-res button and that's all you need to do, right? Yeah. No. Sometimes
1: it's even harder because you're working with someone else's code and I, I, um, I'm a web developer, uh, as my actual trade i, I do front end web development and i know that uh, it's never fun working with someone else's code when you have to do it on a short uh, deadline
2: yeah and it's the same thing with the uh, the other game we're going to talk about next with eternal darkness it's a similar situation where yeah it just got delayed because of uh, just changes or differences in the hardware the n64 and the gamecube are wildly different and uh, they had to also tie in all the star fox characters they had to make new models for those guys new voice actors get the music and everything like that and figure out how it would all fit so yeah it just took extra time which was also a shame because or a challenge because internally at rare they knew they were getting bought out by microsoft by Mm -hmm. the end of september so they had to get this game finished so obviously crunch is a huge topic of conversation now on Twitter and everything like that. It was the same back then, but it just wasn't it wasn't addressed as much. But it was the same thing then, people sleeping in offices, not seeing their families, and <laughs> which is uh, too bad that the game was uh, commercially not well-received because as a yeah. team, they, they, I've read an interview with Phil Tossel, who is the lead software designer of the game. Highly recommend people check out nintendolife.com. There's a great article about this game. Uh, but he, he's extremely proud to this day of the game. The team that came together, they didn't have a ton of uh, development shops yet. They were a fairly new team to Rare. It's just to bring this game together in such a tight deadline and the, the quality that it was in was uh, a very good feat and um, they should be proud of
1: it. Well, I see that uh, our good friend here, Jed Winters, has just joined us on the podcast. Uh, Jed, can you hey hear guys? us?
0: Yeah, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, you're a little bit soft. You're so quiet. Is that better? Yes, that is better. Okay, I'm going to hold the mic right in my mouth. <laughs> oh, nice. Get, get up and close with it. Hi, hey, Jed. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you as well. Yeah, so uh, Jed is on here. Jed is a uh, obviously big GameCube fan, as uh, most of our people who come on here are, and you know what? Frankly, if anyone came on here who wasn't a GameCube fan, I just wouldn't want them on here, Daniel. Right,
2: I I I might still welcome them because they're giving the GameCube a chance, and the GameCube needs as many friends <laughs> as it can possibly find. So, and anybody, it's like it's like the Seinfeld community, Mike. I mean, you see that you see the Friends community where there's like a half group where the new Friends fans hate the old Friends fans. Everybody's. A, if you're a GameCube fan, you're, it's like the Seinfeld fan. If you love Seinfeld, you're in it. You're you're in the community. So, so question for you,
1: Jed, before we start. Yes, sir. Uh, you owned a GameCube uh, when you were a kid, correct?
0: I did own a GameCube. I did own a GameCube. I kind of went from like a SNES right to GameCube. I never owned an N sixty four in between, mm-hmm. which I think is like a prereq for this podcast, right? Where we're anti N sixty four.
1: <laughs> no i am that's <laughs> right. no, it's, yeah, it's all it's all it's <laughs> it's the uh yeah you gotta have the the running joke here i hate um, donkey but, kong 64 yeah. <laughs> that's it everything else is yeah. fine <laughs> yeah neil has some really anger issues with donkey kong 64 which it was just funny because i actually like donkey kong 64 it's, uh, it's yeah we can talk
2: about that another day that'll be another supplemental <laughs> podcast um that's another right. another rare title though so
1: i know yeah i was thinking that but uh yeah so what uh, do you remember what color your gamecube was it's purple Oh, very nice. Good purple. classic purple, purple, like
0: off blue, whatever you want to
2: call that one. Indigo, yeah. indigo purple, I think was the. Indigo, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, you had the controllers as well. Uh, did you have uh, the collection of different colors for the controllers? I had like the
0: same color controller that came with it, like the same kind of purple, and yeah. then three little. What do you
2: call it? Mad Mad Cats controllers. <laughs> oh yeah, those, like are for the, those are for your siblings and friends. <laughs> yeah, <pretty> much. <laughs> i still have them like i dug my uh, when mike
0: started this podcast you well, both of you i dug out my gamecube and started playing again and one of my four controllers still work and it's one of the mad cats <laughs> but, like the, the a button gets
2: stuck in every time you press it kind of thing so <laughs> it's, it's works but doesn't work even my licensed gamecube controllers like the actual ones one of the controllers the a button is starting to get a little sticky but mad cats did make some yeah. quality stuff like their, their memory cards are actually pretty decent the controllers not so much but
1: hey if that's all you know you do you <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Better than the ones at, game, at uh, McDonald's that were, like, the C-stick uh, covering had completely come off, and it was just, like, a metal yeah,
2: right? like, a joystick. Yeah, I don't know who was hitting golf balls off the GameCube controllers in McDonald's, <laughs> but, like, those things were beaten to shit. Like, I don't know what kids were doing. <laughs> Uh, it's a whole, that's a whole, I- another issue. But anyway, Star Fox Adventures, let's, um, let's get, let's yeah. jump right into the gameplay, uh, how, what we thought of it, early memories. So, did, did you play this game when it came out back in 2002?
0: Yeah. So, basically, this was like the first real game that I got when I first got my GameCube, right? And it was like, for me, the first real, like, adventure style game I ever played. Um, and like I said, I never owned the N64, so I wasn't really that familiar at the time with, like, the history of star fox i never really played Mm. the classic flying style games that people are used to
2: yep
0: and uh you know from like reading reviews and stuff i feel like that was kind of the biggest complaint by people that didn't like it was it wasn't a classic star fox it was more of like a zelda style adventure game there wasn't that much flying in it but i mean that never really mattered to me because I didn't know what I was missing. You know what I
2: mean? Yeah, I, I'm the opposite where I grew up with Star Fox 64. So the flight missions, the on-rail shooting, the the voice acting, the banter back and forth between Slippy and Falco, that is Star Fox to me. And this being such a wild departure from that, it like you said, it's an adventure game, which that should be the... The emphasis on adventures in the title, not Star Fox, because the Star Fox portions of the game, where the characters are talking in their ship or they're flying around, like that, those are the worst parts of the game. If you if you took those <laughs> out, this is actually a very decent GameCube game. It's beautiful. Like the graphics are probably the best of almost any GameCube game out there in yeah. terms of a game look trying to look photorealistic. Like it's not cell shaded like Wind Waker, which I think is still a beautiful game. This game is more like a space game, and it looks lush and and gorgeous Mm -hmm. and the music is all great the voice acting is fine like it holds up very well the combat is a leaves a little bit to be desired though i i i found it pretty repetitive the um using the staff that fox uses
0: yeah the combat's like all you do is mash a right it gets really it's very easy and gets repetitive you're right um so you you played the game you like are familiar with the story and everything
2: I played most of it. I think I got about halfway yeah. through where I just got tired of it. I couldn't get. Yeah. I, I I understood it. It got a little bit repetitive. It felt like Ocarina of Time, which isn't a knock against it. I love Ocarina of Time. Um, I don't. I don't think that that should be a criticism that the game is too close to Ocarina of Time or Banjo with collecting things. But yeah, just the constant button ma- uh, mashing and the lack of traditional Star Fox levels of flying in your R wing. I just. Yeah. I, I gave it up. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I I watched the final boss fight on YouTube.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the final boss fight is kind of relatively disappointing. Because, like, the whole story mode, you're chasing this guy, General Scales, who's supposed to be the main bad guy. And then you line up to fight him at the end. And then this other guy comes in. I think his name was Andros. And says, (laughs) Scales, I don't need you anymore. Fox is going to fight me instead. You don't even get to fight this guy that you've been chasing the whole time.
2: Yeah, like they just kind of wedged Andross, who's the main villain in Star Fox 1 and Star Fox 64, into the very end of this game. He, you're just about to fight this dinosaur guy. And then Andross's voice says, yeah, yeah, Scales, you're no longer na- required. Fox goes up and then fights Andross randomly, just like in Star Wars, how they randomly brought back Palpatine. What a name mm-hmm. to General Scales. Oh, it's <laughs>
1: terrible. And now I guess so that was obviously uh, ported over from the dinosaur planet uh, yeah. aspect yeah. of the game.
2: Yeah, clearly uh, meant to be the bad guy for Saber and Crystal before Fox was brought in in replacing Saber. But I will say as a compliment to the game, this is the, probably the best version of Andross in any Star Fox game. Um, he, just a floating head? Well, he's always a floating head with hands. That He's always a floating always. head. Always, yeah. He's oh, never yeah. had a body, or maybe he did, but in every game that you fight him, uh, he's always just a head in,
1: this, in the sky. yeah. But he looks fantastic. Yeah, the 64 one, he's just like a block, basically. And then the other ones, he's like closer to like a monkey esque creature.
2: Yeah, this is the one where they made him more like look more monkey ish. Uh, And then in Star Fox Zero, they brought him more back to the N64 design with the beard and very brown and yellow but this one like he looks like it looks good i like, i don't know it's just the fur effect in the, the fox and then like his beard and hair and everything like it looks very good The whatever engine they're using bravo it, it turned out well So, just to give it praise, like, the final boss fight, yeah, it was clearly wedged in, but, like, they did a really good job bringing him, for the first time, we saw him on GameCube, and it looked spectacular, really. They gave him a weird Arnold Schwarzenegger-like voice, which I thought was weird. (laughs) Uh, Very true, actually. Yeah, his voice was, like, Austrian, almost. I don't know what, he doesn't have a voice in 64 or anything, he doesn't have a voice, he just laughs. Uh, Yeah, like Ganondorf kind of thing, but then they gave him this weird Austrian voice,
1: which was really (laughs) weird, actually. So so Andrus only appears at the very end, eh? He's not in the game or mentioned at all? Yep. Wow.
0: Yeah. So about the story, like, the whole story is this dinosaur planet has fallen apart, and you got to find these four spellstones that hold the planet together and put them back where they mm-hmm. belong. But then you kind of find out that you also have to find these six Krizoa spirits that, I guess, kind of keep these spellstones in place. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, the six Krizoa spirit, uh, like... Statue guy that's been walking you through the game turns around and it's been Andros. Oh, yeah. and then he, yeah, and then you fight him in the sky. I see, I see.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if we mentioned this earlier, but yeah, I've, I've never played much of Adventures. I played a little bit of it. I was more of a Star Fox Assault guy just because that's what I got. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is I'm pretty sure I rented, uh, Star Fox Adventures from Blockbuster. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't even rent it back. I didn't pick up Star Fox Adventures until just a couple of years ago. I bought it fairly. On, I mean, now it's it's more expensive. I think I got Star Fox Adventures for twenty five dollars. If you wanted to pick it up now, it's about fifty. So it's jumped up in price over the past few years, which I don't think the game is worth fifty dollars. I think that's just because it's it's a collector's item. It's a cult classic. And it's a Star point.
1: Fox name attached it's, to it, right? Anything that that has like a Nintendo published uh, kind of uh, game is going to be relatively expensive.
2: Yeah, and like what we were saying with the finding the five stones, freeing the six spirits, uh, it's very Ocarina of Time-ish. Like that—that's Ocarina of Time, mm-hmm. where you have to find the all the uh, the sages and and all that stuff. And it's it's an adventure game, right? So it's it's just what it is. Exactly. <laughs> you get you cut to you have the the whole opening with Crystal fighting on Dinosaur Planet, uh, the destruction of her home planet, and everything like that. Her parents were killed. Basically, the intro to Star Wars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Literally. And then all of a sudden, you cut to uh, the the Star Fox team. They're on the ship and everything like that. And they get a distress signal and they want to go check out Dinosaur Planet because they just need money. Like what are <laughs> they? What are they? Yeah. What are they buying? Yeah, <laughs> that's
0: like a big thing. There's like several references through the game where Fox just kind of brings up the fact that I'm doing this because I want to get paid.
2: <laughs> yeah, never in a Star Fox game before that were, were they like on Corn Area saying like, "Yo, Falco, you still owe me ten bucks from last night." Like that. It's just like there's no currency in Star Fox. I don't know what they, where they came up with that idea.
0: One thing I remember about the game too is like, like I said, this was I got this game as I got my GameCube, so the first probably two three weeks I played the game I didn't have a memory card, mm, so oh. I, I was starting from scratch every time I turned the GameCube <laughs> on, and I kept getting to the same spot. I don't remember, I don't know how familiar you are with the story, Neil, but uh, you get to this one part fairly early on where. You know how Prince Tricky's following you around the whole time? Yes. So you find his mom and she's sick and you have to find these white mushrooms to make her feel better. (laughs) And I just couldn't find where the mushrooms were. (laughs) Anyways, that's like the story of the game.
2: I almost feel like that this is a new question we need to ask our guests is, you know, what color GameCube did you have? Controller, and then did your parents know to buy a memory card? Right away, because I feel like (laughs) some people's parents, some kids' parents knew, some, I guess they talked to the right employee that day. (laughs) But uh, Jed, the way that you were playing the game, though, like restarting it every time with no memory, that's how traditional Star Fox games are played. You can't save. So every time you started up the game on N64, you started at level one. But the game wasn't as long as Star Fox Adventures. I think Star Fox Adventures is like a 25 to 30 hour game whereas the original Star Fox games I think you can you can go from start to finish depending on the route you take in about 4 hours.
1: Yeah, they're yeah. really short. Okay. Yeah. So you
2: were playing it in a traditional sense, you were playing a Star Fox game the way it's supposed to be played.
1: But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think this game would have really just helped not having like not starting from Dinosaur Planet but just having its own kind of unique Star Fox adventures because I really love the concept of this game more than anything. Like, I think it's amazing because all I could think of whenever I was playing the N64 version is like, oh, man, I wish I could, like, fly to a different planet and go explore that planet and then, like, keep going, like, to kind of a Mass Effect uh, style.
2: Now Mike, you're you're explaining you're describing Starlink.
1: <laughs> yeah, and... well that's uh, but see that's that's another one where where Star Fox gets tacked on and gets Dude, wedged
2: in. You, <laughs> you're speaking you're speaking my language right now. It's another it was another situation where it could have been cool, but it was clearly an insomniac game that was Star Fox was tacked on at the last second. And yeah, this was like, – like Jed, when Mike said that you were coming on this week, he told me a few weeks ago that you were coming on to to defend the game. This was back when I absolutely <laughs> despised this game, thinking it's horrible. It's one of the worst GameCube games ever made. But yeah. the last week or two that I've been doing research, going back to replay it, I completely changed my opinion on it. And I actually think it's a good game. So I have no yeah. huge criticisms to say. I think it really it just opened my opinion up to just think like – think about the game. Is the game itself good? Not necessarily comparing it to what came mm-hmm. before.
0: Yeah, because I uh, like like I, I I love this game. Like I said, big part of my childhood. I've replayed it probably eight times. Wow! And then preparing for this podcast, I made a list of pros and cons, and I found it way easier to add onto the cons list. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'll I'll go through it real quick. We kind of talked about it already. Pros: the graphics. I thought, like as a kid, that this was real life. Like there's there's individual hairs on fox's tail Like this is the best graphics i've ever seen (laughs) i don't know how they hold up looking back now but they do they
2: hold up well actually i played this game yesterday just to prepare in 2020 it holds up
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, that's good the storyline too i actually loved as a kid uh, another thing too is uh every time i picked up the controller to play this game my little sister would have to be sitting beside me watching me play for whatever reason i don't think she ever played herself but Like, she would know this game better than most people just because she had to watch me play anytime I was playing for whatever reason.
1: So you're saying she should be on the podcast (laughs) right
0: now. (laughs) Riggan, if you're listening, thanks for being my fan. (laughs) So she was watching it like you were playing a movie almost. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. I mean, the game itself is pretty much like a cakewalk. The, The hardest part of the game is figuring out what to do and then actually doing it is largely pretty easy the whole way through. Yeah. We talked about the fighting mechanics. They're not great. There's no jumping in this game, which is another weird thing for a 3D game.
2: Well, that was Ocarina of Time too. You just pretty much had to le- or like run at a ledge and Link would automatically jump. This was the exact same. Yeah. Same thing.
0: Picking things up takes forever. Even if it's, like, a common item, you pick it up, and it goes through this weird cutscene where he, like, celebrates that he found this thing. Yeah. Uh, And you can't skip it. (laughs) No, yeah,
2: and it's every time you find, like, an egg or something like that, and it's every character does it. It's not just... yeah, (laughs)
1: Yeah,
2: it's weird.
0: The funniest thing, though, is, like, this isn't really a reoccurring theme through the game, I didn't think, but there are several instances where Fox is, like, a bit of a dick, (laughs) yeah he doesn't want like tricky to be a sidekick at first he thinks he's annoying or something and then he doesn't want to help save this crystal girl and then like you said there's like several references to i just want to get paid you know there's there's this one point in the game where he the thorntails are like the main dinosaurs Mm -hmm. and he saves them from these like hyena bird things that are attacking them and then he goes uh look fella i'm not paid enough to keep getting you guys out of trouble <laughs>
2: it's like han solo they made him han solo which that's yeah not they what did they, yeah right they should have made it like falco uh he's kind of like the snappy one that you're describing but then they gave it to fox instead which fox is meant to be like the noble guy did the do writer and everything the leader which makes
0: sense yeah 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 but yeah Weird. then they
2: made yeah they made him into like this dick that's just looking for a paycheck <laughs> which is really it was really off-putting <laughs> yeah
0: the hardest part of the game is like somewhere in the middle where you have to like it's basically like a tug of war but you're mashing a to tread like you and this other dinosaur dude are pushing on opposite ends of a stick and you have to try to push it all the way around to, so the other guy falls in a hole and all you have to do is mash a but i mean i had the broken madcast controller so my- <laughs> oh no,
1: <laughs> so, no <laughs> oh, it made it easier oh all i had
0: to do was press a once and then you leave.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my god that, true, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you
2: hack you hack a game by just breaking your controller. That's awesome.
0: What's with the weird button on the Madcats controller that just makes every other button not work?
2: Yeah, what
1: was the point that of that? macro button in the oh, middle. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe like to hook up to a PC or something. Oh, maybe. But, I mean, oh, okay. I don't know. That's like me really spitballing there. I have no idea.
2: No clue. I remember that weird switch and never touching it. Yeah. That's a
1: huge nostalgia. Like, oh my god! <laughs> you just
2: turned on a section of my brain that's been dormant <laughs> for fifteen years. <laughs> I can't think of a purpose for that at all. No, but uh, anyway, the public reception of the, or I guess the critical reception of the game, like it wasn't terrible. Even though reviewers and fans alike said it wasn't a great Star Fox game, Nintendo Power gave the game a four point five out of five stars. IGN gave it a nine. Metacritic overall, it's got an eighty two. It's the seventh highest selling GameCube game with 1.45 million units. So like it's not a really yeah. yeah, it wasn't a failure by any maybe sales wise it was. But um, I think Dinosaur Planet might have been better off on N64 than Star Fox Adventures on the GameCube. But that's one of those alternate realities that we just can't we can't get to from here. Um, It would have been really interesting to see this game if it had come out as Dinosaur Planet. You can tell that Rare was really um, proud of that franchise and maybe the possibility of what it could have done. They kept a Dinosaur Planet sculpture in the reception in the UK at their headquarters up until quite recently. I think up until 2012 they had Mm. it set up like not a star fox adventures uh sculpture a uh, dinosaur planet dinosaur sculpture. Dinosaur planet one, yeah. Yeah.
1: Interesting. And yeah, you know, like you were saying earlier, like I'm sure the devs were pretty upset this entire time about the fact that they had to port Star Fox like basically into this game that they had like already made.
2: Yeah. Jed, would you like to see Star Fox cuz I even had the opinion just for our last point, I guess, that I would love to see a Star Fox Adventures too. Just like what Mike said, a game that was meant yeah. to be Star Fox Adventures from the start.
0: Yeah, for some reason, I thought there was one, but like did it get scrapped or something? Was there ever an idea for a Star Fox 2? Uh, uh, good no, question. I, I mean,
1: so. it, it's interesting because I think that the idea of it kind of went away when Rare got bought by Microsoft because right. they own the assets to uh, some of these uh, characters. We know obviously with like Banjo and things like that, that it's always in like licensing hell. Like, I, I, I really hope that this happens uh, at some point, like a more realized version of Star Fox Adventures. I mean, Neil and I have talked extensively about what we're upset about with the Star Fox franchise. Like, I don't know if you know anything about like Star Fox Zero or Starlink Jed, but those were like the newest Star Fox uh, titles yep. recently, and neither of them sold or performed well critically. So it's uh, how how new? Uh, Starlink. Well, Starlink isn't really a Star Fox game. It's more of just like like
2: it was a toys to life kind of game that Insomniac made. It came out in two thousand and eighteen, I believe, and it's it's okay. it, it was just a mess. Like I didn't find it very fun. Um, it's and just Star Fox
1: zero was uh, 2016, 2016, which is
2: just a, That was kind of like a reboot of Star Fox 64. I think they were trying to revamp the franchise and it didn't work. Uh, that game is just bad. Um, <laughs> I, I can talk about that in another time, but Uh, Yeah, as a Star Fox fan, a fan of like the original Star Fox series on the Super Nintendo and the N64, like in my mind, like all you have to do is make an on rails space shooter with great graphics, great visuals and witty banter back and forth. Make it a five hour to, you know, maybe with some replayability, a 10 hour game maybe it's a slight discounted game mike you and i have talked about games like i would love to see a 50 game a nintendo licensed 50 game that just put it out and see if people love it and doesn't have to have multiplayer which we didn't even talk about this game has a multiplayer mode too i did not know that yeah i did not know that <laughs> oh okay um i've played it briefly it's basically like um it's just like a, a little shooter thing, kind of like GoldenEye, but in the third person, where you, you're walking around shooting each other. You can jump into an R Wing and shoot at each other. But yeah, four player split screen, very much like the rare, the rareware uh, multiplayer games of the 90s. But yeah, there's a multiplayer mode too, which Star Fox does not need. But yeah, um, do you have anything else to add, Jed?
0: Um, no, I think that's it. But I do want to just say to you guys, congrats on your success of the pod so far. Thanks. A thousand downloads. You guys are in. Seems like multiple countries, multiple platforms. It's uh, it's very interesting to listen to. Thank you. I uh, I haven't like played most of the games you guys have been talking Neither about. Neither have I haven't we. Heard of most of the. games. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still like, like re- very interesting to listen to. I, I enjoy it. Terrific. That's
1: awesome. Thank you so much for the, uh, the praise there. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, quick, before, quick tire. <laughs> before
2: you go, would you like to hang in for the back of the case segment? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So let me just read the back of the case of Star Fox Adventures. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the
1: back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading The Back of the Case.
2: Out of, Out of the cockpit con- con- and into, into epic adventure. adventure, at the, at the far, far edge of the Lylas system. system, an army... An army. Uh... uh know, that <laughs> I'm off, I'm to, off to a bad start. Star.
1: It's like Neil, you own the box. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm <laughs> the box. Alright, an army... Oh, I think that's going to be a special subject. An army of
2: diabolic dinosaurs has shattered the tranquil world of the dinosaur planet. The future looks weak until, until Fox McLeod the prey. For the first time, time he's a legendary burger. Fox leads his army to allow enemies hand to hand, hand with an enchanted staff of total powers. powers. In the biggest, in biggest challenge, in Team, team Star, Star Fox's history, history no will weapons, weapons and, 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 and magic, magic against massive, massive bosses, bosses, fly army and missions, missions, and explore, and explore vast pre-story lands. they will need all the help he can get from old teammates, Sophie and Keppy, and all new allies like Prince Tricky and Mysterious Crystal. The balance balance of power power shifts evermore to the evil evil General general Scales, and and Fox fox hunt is on. They just read what's on the back of the case. There's words written on the back of the case, they just read them. And that's what's written on the back of the case. They put white font on a white background. That's why I had trouble reading that. Ah,
1: of course. <laughs> yeah. Classic uh, early 2000s move. <sighs> it's a big one.
2: And uh, and one interesting fact about Star Fox Adventures is that being a Star Fox game, which is traditionally a game for kids, it's actually rated T for teen. Uh, the reason being animated blood, mild violence. Um, yeah. And then the rest is French. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's uh, that would be one of the main like weird kind of Nintendo licensed games. That's teen. Also, Falco's not in this game. I just remembered that. Falco comes back at the very end for the boss fight to help you kind of
0: beat Andros. Oh. Yeah, and then uh, like the final cutscene, he comes back on the uh, the ship, and they're all celebrating because they finally got paid. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then Crystal, who Fox just saved comes on the ship too and she's like she's she's giving fox some thirsty looks too there's like a there's like a theme in the game where every time they see each other they're like oh they're she's pretty good looking
2: crystal is definitely like a furries thing like she's like got the princess slave outfit on she's huge she's got (laughs) the big eyes so falco is like that guy in the group project that shows up on the day of the presentation after doing no work (laughs) that's a perfect
1: description Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jed. We really appreciated all your uh, knowledge and info about this game.
0: Yeah, appreciate you guys having me. I'll, uh, I'll see you at baseball tomorrow, Mike.
1: Yeah, see you at baseball. And uh, Neil might be at uh, baseball games in the future if we ever need people. Oh, so love uh, it. Yeah.
2: If anybody gets sick, let me know. I'm, um, I'm, I got a pretty good swing. I'm a good hitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. Can't wait.
1: <laughs> uh, take care.
2: Yeah, thanks, guys. Later, buddy. That was good. I think we covered that game very well, if I do say so myself.
1: I think we covered it excellently.
2: Let's let's move right along uh, to uh, Eternal Darkness, which was uh, released on June twenty third, two thousand and two developed by Silicon Knights, published by Nintendo.
1: This is another GameCube exclusive. All three of these games will be GameCube exclusives. Yeah. Just to point, point that out. Yeah,
2: definitely. I mean, sometimes games that were GameCube, meant to be GameCube exclusives, like the Capcom 5, later on were not GameCube exclusive. And they always are. Like, all these games are still GameCube exclusive. You can't play any of these games on new consoles. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Which is also probably, you are mentioning, uh, Licensing Hell with Star Fox Adventures being a rare published or developed game. Yeah. Probably the same thing goes for Eternal Darkness, which uh, was developed, Silicon Knights. I have a little bit of info on them as a developer. If you want, I can touch on touch on that before we get into the game itself. Sure. Cool. So Silicon Knights, they're actually a Canadian, uh, Ontario, of all places, development team. Oh, they're wow. In Saint, yeah, St. Catharines, Ontario. Cool. Love it. Yeah. Uh, founded in 1992 by Dennis Dyack. Other games that some people might recognize, Two Human, which was on, I think, PS3 and Xbox 360. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes, which is a remake of the first Metal Gear game, also a GameCube exclusive. And then X-Men Destiny, which is one of the many, many, many X-Men games that we got in the (laughs)
1: mid-2000s. Yeah, oh my god. So
2: many X-Men games. They also collaborated with a bunch of academic institutes in their career, including McMaster University, the Art Gallery of Hamilton, and Mohawk College, which are all places near Mike and I. Yeah, in Hamilton, yeah. But unfortunately, Silicon Knights, they're not actually around anymore. They declared, they filed for bankruptcy in 2014 after a uh, lawsuits with uh, Epic Games over an Unreal Engine deal. Unfortunately, Epic won that deal, which after that, the the company kind of spiraled. Silicon Knights folded in 2014. While they were in business, we uh, luckily got Eternal Darkness, which is a very big cult classic, not a survival horror game, but uh, they classify this game as a psychological thriller game. Even though it gets compared all the time to Resident Evil, which is just a survival horror game, uh, and yeah. I think that's a rightful uh, comparison.
1: It's it's very similar to Resident Evil in just every aspect of it: the graphics, the gameplay, the music, the camera. Like it's it puzzles, feels puzzle-solving elements.
2: Puzzles, yeah. It's got a little bit more of a, um, a H.P. Lovecraftian kind of vibe to it with the supernatural. It's not really zombies. There's not as much shooting. Like it's not like you have limited ammo. Um it's funny because they uh, Silicon Knights actually kind of trashed Resident Evil in an IGN interview. They called they called Resident Evil with B movie horror plots, <laughs> which I mean this game kind of has B movie horror plots as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which it ended up with
1: a little kind of fun fact here if you get the Canadian version of eternal darkness you'll actually get a little maple leaf on the left side that says developed in canada which is uh just kind of cool i don't know if i ha- i have a you
2: have my copy of eternal darkness right now i lent it to <laughs> I <know>. you, <laughs> you i have to look go take a look at it i don't know i think i bought mine a few years ago while it was still relatively affordable can't remember if i said this game is about 100 bucks now on ebay if, if you're looking for it no yours is uh
1: american copy
2: <laughs> but that's uh that's kind of cool i didn't know that yeah um like the other games we're talking about, this was also an N64 game. Early builds can be seen, if you can go back in time, to E3 1999. And this was another, it looked like a very well-done late N64 game with voice acting and everything, which is not common in N64 games. Just like Star Fox Adventures, it was, uh, it was ported to the GameCube. But when you port a game from one console to the next, you have to make completely new assets, new character models, new lighting, lighting mechanics, um, combat. Mechanics, everything like that. So this game got delayed and delayed again to the point where it was released basically four years later than it probably should have. Yeah. Uh, another reason for the delay of the game was uh, unfortunately the events on September 11th caused uh, obviously a huge issue with Middle Eastern iconography, which the game originally had in it. There was some Middle Eastern. Uh, settings which had to be completely scrapped or at least changed Um, characters had to be removed interesting yeah Um, so that that didn't help either obviously that set many things back which included this game Uh, I think the most interesting thing about this game is the uh, in the gameplay there's the sanity meter which I don't know Mike have you played much of this game or was it just like when we played it the other day
1: (laughs) I I played it before uh, a long time ago but uh, playing it again the other day uh, brought back a couple memories, but mostly just brought back Resident Evil memories. Yeah, just. no, for
2: sure. Um, so, yeah, so that that's kind of why I think this game differs from Resident Evil is just the fourth wall breaking with the sanity meter. You play as 12 different characters throughout the game, which span over 2000 years, depending on, I guess, the generation you're in. Uh, you explore uh, settings, including Persia, Cambodia, France and then Rhode Island. Uh, you have this book, which is called uh, the, what, the Tomb of Eternal Darkness, which is um, basically like this spell book, which is bound with human skin and bone. And uh, every time your character touches this book, automatically these demons sort of come out of nowhere. And uh, if any of these demons see you, it affects or decreases the level of your sanity meter. And as your sanity decreases, uh, the weird things in the game happen. Now, this is a spoiler if you haven't already played this game. Sorry, but... uh <laughs> it's 18 yeah, years had, later. Yeah, come you've on. had your chance. Um so things weird things happen like the screen will start to tilt uh it'll the, the console or the screen will tell you completely like your controller has been disconnected or the memory's been corrupted. Spiders will walk across the screen. Uh just rant. sometimes your character will come into a room and their head is missing or you're a zombie yourself like you look like one of the demon characters and you have to basically get back your sanity to kind of return the game back to normal, which is a really cool uh, mechanic which has only I think been done in this game Nintendo holds a patent for what's considered the sanity meter so I think this might be one of the only games that has something mm. like this
1: yeah that's interesting there are there are other games that are similar-ish to that but uh, none that are exactly that like the I can think of maybe Demon Souls with the world meter and how the world will change based on how many times you've died Oh, OK. Uh, but uh, like that's like the first thing that would come to my mind. But it's obviously not exactly that. So
2: I was thinking of actually Until Dawn with um, not so much in the gameplay, but with the cutscene, scene, um, with the famous uh, the psychiatrist scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, I almost thought about that when I was yeah. thinking of this, but it's not not really the same. Like there's nothing like, you know, the, your system's been corrupt or anything like that. It's more just like weird things screwing with your mind, kind of fourth wall breaking but it's not like a sanity meter. That that happens in the game regardless. Yeah. You could you could arguably play this game with almost none of these things happening if you're really good at it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's got a bit of a randomness to it. Yeah, it's a really kind of... I, I find it almost... For me, I it's a very story-heavy game, and I find it a little bit hard to follow. But that's just me. That was my opinion when I played it the first time around. I picked it up in 2014, and I remember not really knowing exactly what's happening i know that there are these supernatural forces that are trying to destroy the earth and all of mankind and it's up to you to kind of stop them
1: so cabin in the woods
2: cab yeah almost like cabin in the woods yeah exactly like you know these two millennia of uh, generations of people uh passing down the book and there's also uh, some magic elements you um you collect certain symbols runes i think they were called and then you can cast spells which uh they improve your health, they fix your weapons and, and uh, help solve puzzles and things like that. So there's also
1: that element of the game, which kind of makes it a little bit different from Resident Evil. It, it is definitely like different from Resident Evil in that sense. And, and honestly, a very ambitious game for the time. Yeah. I, I know there's been a lot of attempts by the actual game's uh, director to make a, uh, a sequel or a spiritual successor or something to go along with this game in uh, like in 2020 or beyond because the game's ideas and the way that they can be presented are obviously so much more uh, in tune to uh, today's like technology. It would be really, really cool to see this game come back in a way because it obviously it's like fun to play on GameCube, but it is definitely dated. It feels dated. The graphics are not the best. I'm, I'm sure the gameplay was great in 2002, but the gameplay is just kind of lacking in 2020. And I think there is a huge market for this, especially now. You have so many of these kind of games out, and this is a pretty unique spin on, like, the the horror, psychological, like, uh, action-adventure aspect.
2: Yeah, we saw a huge resurgence of these types of games, like the psychological kind of terror games with, uh, like, amnesia and... um what Outlast, Slenderman—that was kind of like in the mid 2010s when like Twitch was really taking off. People were playing those types of games. That's when I mm-hmm. think this game really could have come back. And you were saying there were uh, there you're, there were crowd attempts, two of them, to make a spiritual successor. They were calling it Shadow of the Eternals. It failed twice in 2013 and 14. There were talks of a sequel to be made in the 2000s, but. This company, being Silicon Knights, they um they had an issue pumping out games at a good clip. Um, they, they had a just it seems like that there was a lot going on behind the scenes with just yeah. turning intent into reality, which is a shame because I think maybe this game might not have been, uh, you know, a huge Call of Duty level numbers every year, but it could have been a pretty cool ongoing series that maybe comes out once per generation if, if nintendo put some money behind it which they did back in the gamecube days they were trying to attract that mature audience which mm-hmm. eternal darkness being one of the it's a nintendo licensed game or nintendo published game it's rated m for mature which there are very few nintendo published games rated m yeah
1: yeah so this is definitely a unique one on that in that sense and uh and internal darkness has Still a, quite a big fan base. I always see people posting about this. I always hear about people talking about eternal darkness and how much they love it. Uh, and, uh, it definitely has like, there, there is a fan base out there and I, I'm confident that we will see another internal darkness game or a spiritual successor uh, at some point in the future.
2: Yeah, if they keep talking, if they keep trying, I think eventually maybe they will. It's just I feel like other horror games are coming out and kind of stealing its lunch like Resident Evil got big again. There, there's just I, but I think
1: that helps, though. I think that helps uh, to, you know, like uh, maybe a crowdfunding campaign in 2021 will be more successful because of Resident Evil eight coming out and the remasters and stuff like that and or who knows maybe Maybe. an internal darkness remaster comes out at some point but that
2: would be uh, that would be excellent i just don't know it would have to be a nintendo published game because nintendo owns the unless you change the 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 sanity effect of the game which is what the game made it popular and it continues to be popular today is that sanity meter which nintendo has so they would have to be involved in some way i kind of thought i kind of thought that it would be cool as being a, almost like a phone game because the- with people being so attached to their phones, it would be really weird if like you're playing a game on your phone and then you think you're getting a text or you're getting a call and you're actually not. Just stuff like that.
1: Oh, that would be neat. Yeah. yeah.
2: Screwing with you with like your battery dying or you're losing reception. Something like that uh, hmm. because everyone's so – back back in the day, you know, when you see your, your TV video screen changing to something else, that screwed with your mind. But today, like maybe people don't know what that even means anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like controllers disconnecting, maybe, but it's just so uncommon these days. Though Those were all common issues with video games back then was the I know, input right? settings <laughs> being screwed up. Like that's just not a thing anymore. But with the phones yeah. and our portable devices, I think that that would be something that this game, maybe computers, but that's yeah. more for like a PC audience. Anyway, uh, I hope that we see a sequel too, but I just don't know what that would look like. Um,
1: well, I have the box here so I can read the back of the case. Sure, I have it too here on my screen, but you go, you go ahead, I'll let you take this one. Is it real or is it in your head? Prepare for an epic psychological thriller where nothing is as it seems. As you delve deeper into the dark designs of an ancient evil, you'll have to fight to save your character's sanity and your own. Okay, so... (laughs) Uh, Rated M for blood and gore violence. This game being
2: a first of its kind, being what it is with all... You know, it's such a weird story with... Again, like I said, 2,000 years of characters, 12 characters. You're going from Cambodia to Persia to Rhode Island. You need to have way more on the back of the case than that. I mean, I know that there's more. in.
1: I, I mean, they do. Is, like there. It's just like small things underneath yeah, each one, those, right? But I'm not going to read no, all that. No, those are
2: under the screenshots. I mean, yeah, yeah, it kind of describes the sanity meter of the game, which was the huge selling point. But it doesn't tell you anything else about the game.
1: No, it's not a good back of the case.
2: No, it's a bad back of the case. Great box art on the front, though, I will say. I love the box art of Eternal Darkness. It's really cool.
1: It is very cool.
2: Yeah, it's very, very unique. Yeah, to describe it, it's like tombs, and there's like a white light in the middle, and then there's planets aligning. It's a really cool cover. Yeah. make a, It actually might make a decent Netflix series, but anyway. <laughs> Actually, that's actually probably where it should go Netflix. I take back what I say about a phone game. Make it a Netflix series. (laughs) There you go. All right. Moving right along to the last game on the docket for today, which is Cubivore, Survival of the Fittest.
1: Yes. Yes. So Cubivore was supposed to be an N64 game called Animal. Oh, my God. Where is it? Animal (laughs) Leader. Animal Leader. Animal Leader was the original
2: name of this game. Uh, Cubivore ended up being released, though, on the GameCube uh, on November 5th, 2002 in North America. Developer was Intelligent Systems, which people will know them now as being the main developer on Fire Emblem, Paper Mario, and WarioWare. They also were a developer of Melee. Of Melee as well, yes, of course. Um, and then the publisher in North America was Atlas. In Japan, it was Nintendo. Overall, the game is fairly average on Metacritic. It's got about a 71 out of 100. Uh, I, I don't know a heck of a lot about this game. I've obviously never played it. This game will cost about... I, I found a few copies on eBay. They ranged anywhere from 400 to $600, depending on the the uh, the, uh, the quality of the case, the condition, if it had the manual, scratches and things like that, which is...
1: That's the most expensive game now I think we've talked about on the show. Yeah, this is number one so far, and it's going to be tough to beat, but I think there'll be a couple that'll be close. But uh, so. Incubivore is known as usually is known as one of the most expensive games not just for gamecube but for uh any console really very very expensive game very very difficult to find and i think that's
2: why it's expensive is because it's so it's sold so low i was trying to find numbers we're a part of the facebook group the gamecube enthusiasts and i i reached out to that group to see if anybody knew what this game sold because there's just no stats i had one response who estimated they had heard somewhere between
1: 10 and twenty thousand copies sold worldwide which is yeah. That's a huge fail. <laughs> so I actually uh, also did some research on my own, and you are correct. So the number that I got to, for most of the people who talked about it, who are pretty big into the Nintendo community and uh, and have knowledge so in the last 25 years of Nintendo sales, uh, they all said about 10,000 units wow. uh, sold. And so there's a couple of reasons for that. And the main reason actually is because Atlas is notorious for putting out physical copies uh of games uh and they they have a lot of problems with their uh distribution oh. uh, for games uh in North America so that was one of the reasons why the North American audience did not get a lot of these games uh mind you this game didn't sell well regardless so you right. know like but that's not the only reason but obviously that is part of it so just a little fun fact there
2: okay yeah no that, that that could be true because even into the into this era of the 2020 like the 2010s when i was trying to find i remember trying to find a copy of fire emblem awakening on 3ds that was a hell to find that like, it was hard <laughs> to find paper mm-hmm. mario is also somewhat hard to find sometimes but it's it's relatively easy warrior wear same thing yeah i guess yeah. that, that kind of lines up pretty well with what you're saying
1: yeah just that's what i i kind of stumbled across the researching so i i know obviously you've talked a lot for Star Fox adventures in eternal darkness but I, I actually know a lot about this game because <laughs> you own it <laughs> oh my god i wish i actually so I, I i a friend of a friend owns this game and when i first saw it on this list when we were going through all these games like well, all the games for the GameCube, i should say I saw Cubivore and I was like, "Why do I know this game? Why do I know this game?" And then you said, "Oh, it's that really expensive game." <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, that's how you describe it.
1: And then I, I kind of like clicked. I was like, "Oh, I know someone who bought this at an auction, an actual auction, and they bought Cubivore for I think probably about two hundred dollars at the time. I forget exactly how much, but um, yeah, nowadays crazy to see that it goes for about four to five hundred, six hundred dollars even. I'd be
2: surprised to see if this game ever goes back down. Like, I love to see the game prices of games kind of, they do eventually plateau and decline a little bit, but I don't think you'll ever see this game for $20 at a video game store.
1: So I'm sure everyone's wondering, what is this game? Uh, like sure. Why is, does this game exist? So this game is kind of like Darwinism as a game, as, as you could call it. The subtitle of this game is Survival of the Fittest. And basically your job is you start as this kind of cube creature and it is technically a pig, although it doesn't really look like a pig. <laughs> uh, think of the graphics being very Minecraft-esque. And N64-esque. because it, it, And it's... N64-esque, yeah. yes. And uh, this game does not look good. And this game did not look good on N64, so I'm not sure how it would look good on GameCube. And obviously it didn't. Yeah, so the basic idea is that you... Have to go around eating things, plants, animals, other creatures uh, to gain strength, to gain more limbs, Uh, and as well in that level, you're also uh, trying to mate with as many, uh, uh, I guess, other cubes as possible. And the more people you eat, the more like successful missions I guess you do. And then when the level ends, then it's like, oh, you've mated with so many other cubes. And now you have more children. And then the next level, you start the game as uh, your offspring. But weirdly, very strangely, you're like this little baby uh, cube beside your dead father. (laughs) It's (laughs) like really kind of messed up. Yeah, it's really dark. So it is very Uh,
2: evolution based where you have to mate with strong uh, partners to to have stronger offspring and continue to grow. Yeah, Yeah, I, I did a little bit to kind of like the the it seems like that your objective of the game the reason why you're going back to play it is that your character or i guess your family bloodline uh, you've taken it upon yourself to try to become the king of all the cubivores
1: well the idea of the game is that all color from the world is gone oh, no. and uh you your job is to kind of bring back the color by uh, being the strongest cubivore and, and bringing this color back.
2: Yeah. What happened was there's the killer cubivores, which are like the apex predators of this world. Yeah. And they've kind of put themselves at the top of the food chain. They've cut and it's killing the environment. Uh, the animals are all dying. The plants are dying, which is why all the color has gone. I think that that's what what happened. Yes. there. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, no problem. I, I, I kind of I like the simplicity of it. I think it's a great sort of almost like an educational game on evolution and, and fight for survival and things like that. The, uh, the weaker and the stronger animals or cubivores, if you will, are all based on the color that they are like the yellow ones are, are slow, but their attack is high. So like, those are like the horses, the zebras, the hippos, there's red, which are jumper. They can jump, but their attack is low. Like birds, blue has high attack, low defense, like frogs and snakes, purple, uh, pe- animals that can turn fast like rabbits or monkeys uh gray are like runners like dogs wolves again they have a lower attack uh lower attack than yellow rather so you kind of have that hierarchy of mm-hmm. in the animal kingdom uh, represented with colors and obviously everything is cubes
1: yeah there's a bit of a, a bit of a like strategy yeah that actually goes behind this game like the, the concept of the game is actually quite interesting and well done uh you know and you know with this said This game was developed by Nintendo, and uh, so it is a Nintendo original IP, which I don't think a lot of people talk about. No. That this is one of the forgotten uh, Nintendo IPs, and this is something that is super rare that I I looked, I I couldn't think of anything that uh, was with it, but you might be able to correct me. So I believe that this is the only game that was developed by Nintendo, but not published by them, at least in North America. Yeah, it it was published by Nintendo in Japan. Yes, because uh, I guess it wasn't as weird for them. But here in North America, it was uh, it was tested as uh, being a very strange game. So Nintendo actually didn't want their name on it, even though they developed it. So that's why Atlas published it instead. Yeah, I'm trying to
2: think that's a good actually a weekly maybe on the next episode on episode 14. We'll try and come back with another video game that was developed by Nintendo, but not published by Nintendo.
1: But yeah, just just very strange, because if you're a first party company, you know, when you develop something, you would normally want to publish it because you want to put your name behind it. Like obviously, right? So very, very strange. Um, but uh, we'll we'll do some research and come back next to the next episode. I was trying to find if Cubivore
2: appears at all in anything else after this game, or you know, if it if it's popped its head up anywhere else as like a reference. And it was a collectible trophy named Alpha in Melee. Yep.
1: Yeah, so that was the one of the creatures that's like the panda esque creature okay. in uh, in Cubivore. And it says, a creature in an imaginary cubist world where the survival of the fittest is the rule. Hmm. And at the bottom of the trophy, it says, future release.
2: Oh, okay. That's cool.
1: Yeah, because technically when Melee came out, uh, Cubivore wasn't out yet. Right. Cubivore came out uh, about a year after uh, Melee, even though it was developed before, which is kind of funny.
2: Yeah, it was uh, one of uh, 18 canceled 64 DD games. So Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be a 64 DD game, but uh, of course, never came out.
1: Yeah, there were obviously were quite a few of those 64DD games. Some of them just never came out anywhere. Uh, some of them were smaller. And the big three are Dinosaur Planet, Troll Darkness, and Cubivore, which is right. why we're talking about them.
2: Yeah. Um, and uh, there's also a great uh, IGN article from 2002 called Gone to the GameCube, which highlights all the cancellation uh, games that were canceled and shifted N64 games to the GameCube. If you want to read more there, there's, they cover Dinosaur Planet, Eternal Darkness, Animal Leader, which is Cubivore, and Animal Forest, which we'll be talking about in a later yes. episode, which is Animal Crossing, but we'll save
1: that for later. Um, a lot of animal, uh, seems like a big animal uh, kick here, you know, all kind of tied together with that. <laughs> I'm glad that they didn't go with Animal Leader and Animal Forest. That would have been really bad. Uh, also, fun little facts here uh, the game design of Cubivore was led by Gento uh, Matsumoto. Okay. Uh, and he is famous for being a close friend and advisor to uh, Miyamoto uh, during their early years at uh, Nintendo. And so he was also a developer at Nintendo in those days. Oh, okay. Yeah,
2: Cubivore didn't quite take off the same way as uh, Miyamoto's franchises did. <laughs> <laughs> also,
1: I uh, just wanted to bring out the fact, too, that like, how is this game E rated? This is an E-rated yeah. game. There's blood. There's like, it's block blood, but it's blood. Sure. Yeah, when you
2: simulated <laughs> blood. Like when you were saying that there's, uh, you know, animals dying and, and you're mating with other species and things like that, I had to jump over and check the rating because we just said, you know, Star Fox being one of the yeah. main, like a T-rated game, Eternal Darkness being an M-rated game for the same reasons, violence, blood, swearing, stuff like that. And then seeing this being an E-rated game. Right? that's really weird i you Very would think weird. i guess because it's blocks they don't it does say suggestive themes and violence and then it says rated e for everyone
1: <laughs> i know right <laughs> it's really funny yeah yeah how does how does smash get a teen rating and this gets an e that's and what star I'm fox
2: adventures is t and this is e i would
1: yeah it's, it's kind of brutal to be honest it's a pretty brutal game
2: yeah like it <laughs> the character on the front it's a i guess it's a what a goat kind of thing it's got horns i thought it was just supposed to be like a dragon every time i look at it i see a dragon but then i also like look at it closer and it, i i don't know because of the teeth like it looks like a snake but then it's got goat horns i don't know i guess because you can crossbreed
1: with other species to make yourself more powerful yeah, it's yeah. um it's definitely one of the most uh unique covers uh, as well and i love how you know, you often have quotes on the covers of movies yeah. or uh, GameCube, uh, game or just games, uh, video games in general, that'll say, you know, it's like five out of five, or it's like one of the yeah, best yeah. games of the year. Uh, the quote on this one is, uh, one of the most bizarre video games ever created, dot, 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 IGN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs>
2: I mean people some people are looking for bizarre games, right? Just weird things and this is one of those games. This would be a great indie game that you pick up for 5.99 on a whim <laughs> on the eShop. But yeah, I, I I concur that this is definitely one of the most bizarre video games ever created still.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh, time to read the back of the case. Here we
2: go. Cubivore,
1: Eat or be eaten.
2: Assume the role of an animal on its early in its early stages of evolutionary development. As your animal instincts take over, you will boldly traverse hostile environments and savagely stalk your prey to assert your place in the animal chain of power. Will you
1: have what it takes to become the new king of the beasts? That's a good write-up. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty much like that's what the game is so yeah. good job good yeah job, cubivore. D-
2: definitely and i love the idea of the game like you said like leveling up your 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 bloodline by mating properly and, and eating the right things it's just the, the the graphics of the game are just so elementary that if they just kind of took a bit more time to polish that maybe come out with cubivore 2 with a little bit more oomph to the game maybe make it a little bit more i don't know pleasing to watch it might have a, <laughs> it might have a better chance, but. I'd be surprised if we see sequels to any of these three games. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'd say uh, I'd say the one that would have the highest chance would be uh, Eternal Darkness. That's what I would say right now. But I mean, you never know.
2: Yeah, f- I guess yeah. We usually say the future of these franchises. I think Eternal Darkness has the be- like. I, I like my idea of having Eternal Darkness as a Netflix series. I think that could be kind of cool, sort of like uh, Black Mirror. Yeah, Uh, but uh, which of these three games, Mike, which one would you recommend if uh, people haven't picked up since these games are pricey or ridiculously expensive? uh, (laughs) You can probably only choose one. Which one would you say folks
1: should pick up? I mean, I would say Star Fox Adventures because it's it's a you know, like you said, it's not necessarily a good Star Fox game, but it is a good GameCube game and it's a fun game to play. And I I think that uh, uh, it does have its cons, as Jed said, but it's still, uh, I think, a GameCube mainstay. You know, everyone knows of this game and everyone will associate it with the GameCube for better or for worse. So I think if you're you know, getting a GameCube, GameCube collection going, Star Fox Adventures is a must.
2: I can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree. I think Star Fox Adventures of the three is the game to pick up. If you had asked me this two or three weeks ago, I probably would have said Eternal Darkness. But I think Star Fox Adventures is a good game. I don't think it's a, it's not as bad as I thought it was a few weeks ago. I think Eternal Darkness has a little bit more... Uh, It hasn't aged as well as Star Fox Adventures has, and uh, you know, buying games—that's a—that's a a factor. If the game doesn't hold up well, I don't think you should go out and buy it just because it looks good on the shelf. Unless you have the expendable income to do so, then by all means. But
1: yeah but if you have the expendable income you should buy cubivore sure absolutely that's (laughs) true if you have that that's
2: my number one suggestion some people man picking up these games like uh like gotcha force and just all these things on a weekly (laughs) basis i don't know how you do it but uh i'm I'm happy that some people are uh keeping these games in well-respected uh condition and and good collections and i know that they'll be protected and and kept forever as a piece of history from the 2000s -hmm.
1: yeah it's nice to see but yeah definitely not a knock on internal darkness or cubivore uh I think eternal darkness is a great game and it has its own place, but, uh, yeah, just for me, star Fox adventures.
2: Yep. I would say so too. So, uh, did you want to close out this episode and let the, uh, folks know
1: what they can expect next week? Yes. So next week is episode 13.5. That's right. We are final fantasy people now, uh, or, uh, kingdom hearts, whatever you want to say. Weeds. We're weeds now. (laughs) Um, episode 13.5 will be all about us traveling on the road and just, Talking about our memories of playing games on the road, playing games on the Game Boy Color, trying to get that uh, spotlight, you know, those streetlights to kind of shine on our games uh, while we're playing them. And just our memories of uh, handheld console games and gaming systems. And it's uh, its going to be kind of fun. It's kind of like a side quest, a side mission almost for us. So it's not really going to be part of the main series of uh it's an adventures game it's an adventures episode <laughs> yeah it's an adventures episode <laughs> yeah because uh uh and the reason we're we're doing this is neil and i are going to the cottage next week so we're going to be cut away from society so we want to put something out obviously while we're uh, hanging out on the boat and uh yeah
2: cool well uh we look forward to that episode and uh, when we come back we'll be right back in it with uh, some more classic gamecube games and we'll be back on track
1: Yes, episode fourteen will be about uh, burnout and racing games. So if yeah. you're if you're really looking forward to that, that's what you have to look forward to. Is uh, episode fourteen will be all about racing. Yeah, cool. Well, without further ado, uh, everyone, take care, and uh, we'll see you later. They made it. They made it. We did it. great <laughs> okay cool GameCube. over
2: 600 games
1: you've never heard of GameCube. the product of what happens when you think inside the box Game.